Hey, everybody. This is Hans Struzina, United States Olympian, luxury real estate agent, and host of Another Way to Play. And if you want to learn to build world-class communication skills, then you should be listening to the Art of Communication podcast with my good friend, Greg Rice. Welcome to the Art of Communication, where entrepreneurs learn to grow their business more effectively through mastering their ability to connect to others. Whether you're looking to increase revenue, widen your network, or just getting others to buy into your vision, we'll help you dramatically transform your business and life by communicating more effectively, improving your leadership skills, and reinvesting time back into your family. You're only one good conversation away from transforming your business and your life. So let's start the conversation with your host, Greg Rice. Hey guys, today I'm talking with Hans Christian Strazina. Hans is actually an Olympic rower who came in fourth place in the 2016 Olympics in Brazil. Pretty amazing. And today he's a leading luxury real estate agent in the Bay Area. And he's the host of Another Way to Play podcast. And we got into his Olympic journey and the work ethic that it took to get there, but also about the importance of communication and teamwork in a sport like rowing, where precise teamwork is so important. We also talk about how he quickly builds trust with people to the level that they trust him with the biggest transaction of their lives. And then we get into his keys to negotiating effectively, which I know you'll take something valuable away from. So it's not every day that I get to talk to an Olympian, and Hans definitely didn't disappoint. We had a great time doing this, and I learned a lot about teamwork and the importance of building trust. So Hans, thanks for being on the show today. Really excited to have you on the Art of Communication podcast. Um, excited about uh, what you have to share with my audience around, we'll call it Olympic level communication, right? And what you learned from extraordinary accomplishments on the athletic side of things, but then also how you're translating that and leveraging those skills in the professional world. So excited to have you. And Gregory, thanks for having me on. It's, it's an honor to be here and thanks for the invitation. Very cool. Thanks, Hans. Thank you. So to kick us off, I'd love to just, uh, it's not every day I get to talk to an Olympian. So I'd love for you to just tell me a little bit about that Olympic journey and kind of what led you down that path successes you've had and then we'll start talking about from a communication and teamwork perspective what you've learned and man it's it's funny it's uh i was literally talking to my wife about this last night we do wednesday date nights and uh we're like we need to come up with a better answer when people ask us this because i'm like you know how much time do you have like we could sit here for three hours and i could build you some context but the olympic journey was was pretty pretty wild in retrospect. I mean, a lot of highs, a lot of lows, as one can imagine, as someone could imagine, you know, up, down, sideways, backwards, forwards, all of it. And, and in the pursuit of excellence for the sake of ex- excellence, because it's not rowing, which was my sport, drug of choice, maybe is a better way to call it, because uh, there, there was no money in it. You know, we were, we were getting a few bucks here and there, we were, but we were basically living out of the a kindness of family, friends, and sometimes strangers, often just running around for months at a time, living out of a suitcase, uh, moving from training camp to training camp. and Or if you were stable, uh, you, you had to find flexible work, which, you know, that's my first forte into sales, which is maybe another conversation. But, you know, it was, it was a crazy ride and something I'm really glad I did and would not trade by any means, but is... Is 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 taught me a lot, and I've I've in both in the moment and then post uh, rowing career learned a lot from it. 
Very cool. Now, rowing is uh, kind of an ex- extremely focused team sport, right? You have to work in really in a really synchronized way with exact timing. Uh, I'm sure there's an element of needing to be emotionally connected as part of that as well. Tell me a little bit about the team mm-hmm. dynamics and communication dynamics around rowing. The the one thing you need to know about rowing relative to communication is there are a variety of uh, boat classes and there's a variety of combinations you might end up in. So you can have as few as one person in a boat and as many as eight and or eight rowers and a coxswain, so a total of nine. And depending on the time of the year and the training cycle you're in and then the, the boat you end up making um you like i said you might have a variety of people in in that boat and then sort of phys- you know physically even laid out in in a boat in a different order so you know the communication obviously if you're in a two person boat is literally it's like you just you say something and the other person can hear you whereas if you're in an eight person boat you know the from the bow to the stern is almost 50 or 60 feet and you're going hair on fire down the course like you can't communicate across that distance so you have a coxswain who's the person in the in the stern with a microphone and the rudder kind of calling the race plan and telling people to to make corrections and and you know telling you where you are in the race and all that sort of thing so sort of logistically that's how it works but you know obviously there's a big ego component because especially when you get to the olympic level everyone was the best in in their college clubs and in high school they were all very good too and then you get to this level and there's high performing individuals that you're forced to literally come together in a in a shell in a boat to make that thing go as fast as possible and hopefully get across the finish line first and and so the the way that you approach that everyone's kind of got a, a, a different idea of the way to make a boat move and the, and the way you apply your power through the middle of the stroke and at what point you apply the peak power. And like, it just gets really nuanced and refined. So not only is there a technical component, but then there's like this ego component that you have to like do a give and take and decide, are you going to be kind of this hard charging leader who doesn't change their style for anybody and everyone's got to adapt to you? Are you going to be kind of the enabler? Are you going to be the guy who's flexible and fluid and just kind of tries to fit in with everybody so that you, you can just adapt to whoever you're rowing with that day? Like, and obviously everything in between it's there, there's a lot of nuance in there, which we can definitely get into further. Yeah, that's, that's really fascinating about all the dynamics and, and nuance as part of rowing, right. That go well beyond, I think, what the layperson would understand. Um, but I'm curious kind of, you know, when somebody gets in the boat or they get into training or even get in the competition, they're having a bad day, they're emotionally challenged somehow, you know, the need to connect with them and, and get them on a higher positive level with you to succeed. Right? I'm sure there's some team dynamics like that, right? Where you all have to kind of get aligned around the same goal and, and, and be feeling good about it, right? Attacking it mm-hmm. together. Totally. Yeah, that's Completely, really- yeah. Yeah, so that's definitely interesting. And have you found things that you've learned from learning how to work with the team so closely and so in such a nuanced way have been valuable for you as you've kind of transitioned into your professional life? Yeah, so this is also sort of interesting is like when you get to the top of whatever it is you're doing, and in, in my case, it was the Olympic Games because that was the peak of our sport. Like, but you know, this applies to literally anything. When you get to the top of your of your endeavor, you start comparing yourself to 
you know, everybody else who's also at the top. And when, when you realize like your world is like tiny, right? It's like the head of a pen, right? It's, it's like this tiny little portion of the whole population. But if you, if that's your world and you, you focus on that group, like, you know, relatively, you may feel like a a total failure to a two-time Olympic gold medalist, but you were fourth place at the Olympics once. Like that's pretty, pretty darn good when you kind of back it out for just a second. Yeah, it's um, phenomenal. And, and so that perspective is really key. And so when I, when I moved into my next venture, which is now real estate sales and um, practicing as a real estate agent, it's uh, applying those same principles. It's like I wanted to then find the top 1% and the top couple people and then get in their world and emulate and do what they did and compare myself to those people. Because like, if I could do that in rowing and I kept finding the best people I could and, you know, tried to, to copy them and tried to beat them eventually, then I became them. And then the same thing is true in, in my, in my personal, uh, or excuse me, my professional careers, you know, I've found the people who I consider to be the top 1% or the top half a percent and go do what they did and then apply those same principles. Now, on the flip side is like you have to have a self, a healthy perspective on that because again in the beginning you're not going to be as good as them and if all you're doing is comparing yourself to those people mm-hmm. you're going to probably drive yourself totally insane completely agree yeah and it's an interesting balance right how do you like you want to keep your eye on the prize and the goal and and who you want to become and and overcome at the same time, you can't be judging yourself too harshly for not being them yet because there's a process mm-hmm. to getting there. Um, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs suffer from that when they're first starting out, right? They make a lot of mistakes. There's a lot of failure and a lot of people give up there. But mm-hmm. that's exactly what the folks at the top also had to go through. But they stuck with it. Yeah. You need to stick with it too. Yeah. And, I'm, you know, I, I was sort of struck by this the other, like literally last night, again, uh, date night, we were, we were hanging out, having a drink in the, in the driveway. And cause it was sunny. It's like the sunniest spot of our whole, our whole complex is in the driveway. It's <laughs> fun to hang out there. Drinks in the Drinks driveway, in the driveway if you will. But we were, <laughs> we were sort of, yeah, exactly. We were talking about, we were talking about just, just the, um, that dynamic of like, it takes time. You have to put in the reps and like rowing for us, for me and my wife, my wife's also an Olympic rower. Oh, Um, I didn't know that. She, she's now a fitness trainer and has a really successful personal training business and health coaching business. But she just launched this website that she had spent months on and, and did a killer job on it and then launched it and sort of had these expectations that everyone was going to kind of like flood to it, which some people definitely did. Her launch partners helped and she definitely grew her email list by, you know, no small amount in a very short time. But, but it was also in, we talked about this expectation of like, you're not going to like make a million dollars the moment you press publish on your website, right? Like you've Mm got to put in the work. It's the equivalent, like every blog post you write, every podcast interview you do every client call you get on it's kind of like going to practice and and take you know doing another hundred strokes it's kind of like you know and then you make these big milestones launching a website starting a podcast whatever it is that's kind of like winning a a regional qualifier and then you know you you got to then keep training and keep doing the work and then go to the world cup or the world championships or the national championships or whatever that thing is for you and you keep 
you keep putting hay in the barn for lack of a better term. And over time, it's like all of those, when you start to stack them all on top of each other, that's how you make it to the Olympics. So that's how you make it to the top 1% in your industry. But it requires that you do the effort, you do the work, you put the reps in and you use time to your advantage. And I am personally convinced that anything that anyone wants to do, as long as you stick with it long enough, a, with the caveat that you put the right actions in place. But even if you did some of the, a lot of the wrong actions, if you just put enough reps in, you'll, you'll probably succeed at the end of the day. Yeah. I've always thought of, like personally that I could learn how to do anything if I'm allowed to fail enough times. And I think as long as you bring that growth orientation that you're learning from your failure, you're not just doing the same thing over and over again. I think you're absolutely right that lots of folks can do lots of things. I think there's a certain level of talent mm-hmm. in some things, but Oh, and everything, there's a level of talent, obviously, but you can get pretty far in anything by just right. focusing on getting better and being okay to fail, failing forward. And, and to that point, like the talent thing, like that's an obvious correlation to athletics. Like I was gifted physically. I have a body that's built, you know, I'm six, two or six, I guess I'm six, two. Yeah. And I, at my peak, I weighed 215 pounds and I had this, this lung capacity and this VO2 max that was like off the charts, especially compared to, you know, the average human being. And so I'm just like predisposed to be really good at that, like sort of VO2 max, you know, six minutes of pain type of thing, which is exactly what rowing is. I suppose in another life, maybe I would have been a good cross country skier or something like that's another sport that requires a similar max of VO2. But you know, you find, I also happened to find that thing that I was like really good at. And then I put all the work in. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you got to, tr- but, but I also tried track and field. I tried football, basketball, tons of little other recess sports, you know, and I was good at a lot of those cause I was a decent athlete, but I wasn't great at any of them partially because I didn't have the stuff and I didn't want to get that good at it. But also I didn't put the time in, but once I found that thing that was like, oh, this seems like something I'd really be into. And then I put in 12 years of reps. Mm-hmm. That's how, how I got to the Olympics. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating and inspiring as well. And as I said, it's a tremendous achievement. So congratulations on that. And now that thing for you is real estate, right? And mm-hmm. not just regular old real estate. I mean, you're selling and helping folks buy luxury real estate in one of the most expensive real estate markets in the world right? Um, Which is, again, quite impressive. And as I think about communication skills, there's something that jumped out at me was, how do you build trust with folks when you're meeting them for the first time, right? They're basically strangers and you need to convince them to work with you to make the biggest decision of their life, which in your case is, you know, largely a million dollar decision, potentially. How do you, how do you build trust so quickly and effectively to be able to build a relationship like that? Man, that is a really good question. Our industry, so so we're recording this during COVID time and we're not allowed to do open houses. So we're, we're getting a lot more internet leads. And so a lot of what I'm doing is over the phone, but it used to be same concept in an open house. Like it's kind of akin to walking onto a car lot and then someone comes up and wants to like, you know, salesy, you know, guy to you. Um, people, people don't really generally respond to that, especially in a high ticket sale. Um, So what our team talks about all the time is like a lean in, lean out philosophy. It's it's a lot of like, give it away, you know, give away knowledge. Um, I obviously try and educate them, like answer some questions. 
you know, if you meet them and you're like, oh, you've walked into this house, but like really the house for you is, is over in this neighborhood because it's this and this and this, you should go to their open house and check it out. Or, you know, oh, have you heard about the off market, you know, this off market property coming up? Has your agent told you about that? Or like giving away a lot of these sort of secrets and trying to be helpful at the same time just builds incredible trust. And then not, not like breathing down their neck, trying to get their email and phone number so you can call them 25 times and like ask them if they're going to buy yet. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like providing the value is huge and most and super important. And it's really hard in the beginning when you don't have a ton of sales or you don't have a big pipeline, especially if you're starting a business or a new career to, to trust that. But if you can really be of value and, and give away knowledge and then point someone in the right direction and, and really take a second to understand them as a human being and what they're, what they're actually looking for. Mm-hmm. Like you'll, you'll realize you grow pretty quickly and more often than not, they'll like walk back in and be like, yo, can we have your card? <laughs> we want to <laughs> chat some more. And that happens all the time. And it's because, you know, I give it, give them what, you know, whether they ask for it or not, give them something of value and, and don't be the person who's trying to just, you know, turn them into a dollar sign, basically. So I, I guess a more succinct way of putting all that is, you know, providing some value, giving them some knowledge that they couldn't learn themselves on Zillow, or, you know, help trying to take interest in their situation and make a recommendation that benefits them and not you. And then people will be like, oh, okay, yeah, this guy is a little different. And then, and then hopefully there's an engagement there down the road, or right then, possibly too. Yeah, I think that's great, great advice, providing value that is uniquely meaningful for them and their situation and what they're trying to accomplish is a great way to build trust. But it starts with understanding them, right? And, and yeah. again, not seeing them as dollar signs, like you said, it's not just about another sale, it's about building that relationship and giving them value. And then that starts to build that relationship of trust. I think it's applicable in a number of different industries from you know selling homes to selling cars, right? To selling just about mm-hmm. anything. So that's really interesting. Thanks for sharing that. The other thing I want to talk about from a real estate perspective is uh, negotiating, right? So the mm-hmm. process of negotiating, again, in, in very high ticket purchases, these folks are making the biggest purchase decisions of their lives and you're kind of the representative in these high stakes negotiations, what are your keys to negotiating successfully? Man, um, one, one really big key, which I practiced daily as a rower was being comfortable, being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And like, cause you get into this moment where you're a lot of money's on the line. They really like the house. It's competitive. You know, a lot of people get tense and get, like they, they get uncomfortable. They don't want to tell, they don't want to talk about like money's taboo. We don't want to like negotiate in our culture. Right. So it's kind of like this moment of like, I feel kind of icky in this situation. I want to get out of here. Agents and clients alike. And for me, that's one big thing that my athletic career helped me cultivate is that understanding of like, I can just sit here and be uncomfortable longer than you can. And that's going to help me in a big way. But generally speaking, like tactically speaking, that is, there are key numbers that you need to know, like how many disclosure packets are out, how many people have toured the property, how many confirmed offers are coming in. And then obviously looking at the comps and then trying to find out from the agent, like who's the agent on the other side? Like who are those confirmed offers coming from? What are those person's tendencies? What brokerage do they work for? 
you know, and just finding out as much data as you can to try and form, you know, rub your crystal ball a little bit and feed it with some good stuff. And then, and then hopefully it spits out something predictive for you, but that kind of stuff and staying in the moment. And then from there, like I, I'm just a huge fan of everything that Chris Voss puts out relative Mm -hmm. to negotiation. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And then I love like the questions that he, he poses, you know, the, the, Gosh, I'm totally forgetting all the names now and I'm embarrassed to say that. But, you know, he's he talks about repeating the last couple words that the person just said yeah. and just saying like it's and saying stuff like it sounds like, you know, whatever. Like I literally had a guy who was trying to get me to get my client to write an offer. And he was like, hey, we've got a lot of interest on this property. You know, you, you guys should get your offer in really soon, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, sounds like you have you have a lot of offers on the property. So I said something like that. And he's like, that's really presumptive of you. Like what, you know, and in that moment, he thought he was like talking down to me, but he was really telling me I have no offers and my sellers breathing down my neck and I need to get something in front of them. And mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, you have nothing. And I have all the power now, you know, it's stuff like that, that I think is so fun to learn. And when I, when I had that interaction, I was like, oh my gosh, it works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like open up the matrix, right? You see everything in a different way, in a different light. Totally. It's interesting. So I love that kind of repeating the last thing they said. And I found in practicing it, that it's also just a great listening skill. I find myself mm-hmm. paying more attention to what they're saying when I'm talking to somebody, yeah. even if it's not a negotiation. But if I'm focused on, well, what's the last word they say? What's the last inflection point they make? It's a great way to just be more present for the conversation, which I find really interesting. Right. Yeah. And, and it's you're right. It's, it's a good listening tool because it makes youth say that thing back to them. And then if they're like, yes, that's right, or I agree, or I, they give you a, a positive, then it's like, then they're like, oh, this guy kind of understands me. He under, you know, he's no, he knows what I'm talking about. He knows where I'm coming from. And then they kind of loosen up and then you can kind of move the conversation forward. And I find that you just kind of sprinkle a little bit of that stuff into a, a negotiation and it can totally just change the whole dynamic. And it doesn't require you to study for years and years and years. Like you read the book a couple, once or twice, you can probably throw a couple things into your practice or into your negotiation. And then you marry that with some of the other really basic stuff like I just talked about. And you can be pretty, pretty deadly pretty quickly. But first, have you guys ever struggled to gain traction driving paid traffic while it seems like your competitors are just having a lot more success? If so, then you're going to love what I put together for you. I mean, how about a free analysis of you versus your top three competitors to gain clarity around what is really working and what isn't and where the opportunities are? Does that sound good? Well, I've partnered with some of the best in the paid traffic business to create inflection marketing. I only partner with the best. No one has more experience. These guys have been doing it since 2001, and they've been helping companies win paid traffic across all channels, including Google, Microsoft, and Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Amazon. And here's the best part. For anyone who sets up a consultation appointment, we'll provide you with a free competitive analysis comparing your pay-per-click advertising versus your competitors, looking at things like messaging, keywords, volume, and cost per click. And there's no obligation for this. It'll give you the foundation that you need to succeed, whether you decide to work with us or not. 
So to learn more about how we can help you take your digital marketing game to the next level and drive a true inflection in your paid traffic, as well as get your complimentary competitive analysis, go to gregjrice.com backslash inflection. That's gregjrice.com backslash inflection to schedule a quick discussion to see if there may be a fit here or not. So with that, let's dive into our interview. Yeah, very cool stuff. Now, I know you also talk a lot about practicing situations. Do you do things like role-playing negotiations? And Because I'm a big fan of role-play, especially when you're talking about negotiating or having sales conversations. But then a lot of people shy away from it. They feel uncomfortable with it. But it's so powerful to just get those reps in like you were talking about before. Yeah, my on my former team, we did a lot of cold calling and we would start every morning off with 15 minutes of role-play on a group call and two people would go and they would just do the script back and forth and then we would rank them and then two more people would go and we would do that a lot. And it got to the point where like we could all have this conversation in our sleep basically. Mm-hmm. And there was really very little that stumped anyone. And it was awesome because then the conversions went up and you know, people felt more confident and they were more excited to give it a shot and all that sort of stuff. Um, on my current team, we don't do as much of that, although we are are moving back into it. But I like to sort of plan ahead of time what I'm going to ask relative to the other agent. Um, same thing with the client and understand ultimately what, what or where are we trying to go before I go there. And, and sometimes that means actually practicing it out loud. And sometimes that just means having a script or a list in front of me. And one thing I will say that we're going to start doing is at, at the beginning of every meeting, I'm going to take about five minutes and do the question game where it's like you can have a conversation only in questions and wow. just try to like incorporate some fun stuff like that too to get everyone's brain working in a little bit of a different way. I like that. Yeah. Sometimes just getting a different perspective from doing something like that is really powerful. Very Completely. cool. So to switch, switch gears just a little bit, uh, I'd love to dive a little bit into your podcast. Uh, you know, another way to play it's, it's interesting to me. So you obviously have this Olympic background, which is tremendous. Mm-hmm. You're a successful real estate agent now, but you went kind of a different path with another way to play. So I'd love to hear kind of why you went down that path and kind of what you're learning from the folks you're talking to. Definitely. Well, the show case started off as, um, well, our, our mutual friend, Travis Chapel. I, I was found his content, started listening to it and had for a long time been thinking about needing to be better about putting content out into the world. And I thought like, maybe I'll vlog, maybe I'll blog, maybe I'll do a podcast, maybe I'll do this or that. Tried a couple of things, wasn't consistent with it, wasn't really finding my groove. And being an athlete, I'm like, I'm coachable, I just need to coach. So I eventually hired Travis to help me start it and kick everything off. It was really ultimately really glad I did that because he helped me create the podcast, helped me do the nuts and bolts on the back end, but also the the concept of it, which is my tagline is, I believe if you trade hours for dollars, you'll never achieve true freedom in your life. And through a lot of the study and a lot of the real estate stuff that I do with some of the investments I have, like I believe passive income is really, really critical. Mm-hmm. But most importantly, it takes sort of a mindset shift and a a practical shift in your life to really uh, pursue freedom. And so the commentary and the conversation I have on the show with guests has to do with those shifts, both mindset, but also like a career shift. They started a business, they got a side hustle, they started investing in real estate. What were they thinking at the time? How did they start? How did they get into it, et cetera, et cetera. 
And hopefully through those conversations, giving others who have similar ideas or questions the confidence and some some knowledge on on how to move forward and take that and apply that to their lives when it comes to you know when it comes time to actually uh, make a shift or make a, a mindset change for themselves. Very cool. Very cool. Any big from a communications relationships leadership perspective? Any big takeaways from anybody you've talked to on the show that come to mind? One thing that keeps coming up over and over and over again: all the really successful people that I've had on the show know themselves very clearly and they know what's what their true north is and they they know what they really want they're not living for others and and that kind of goes back to saying like originally like i had the talent like the physical stuff which i didn't even know at the time to be a good rower but i just knew i kind of liked it and it was fun and i felt like i could be good at it it just felt right as opposed to all the other sports there was like it was like square peg round hole kind of feeling right it could Mm -hmm. kind of get in there and kind of work it but it wasn't quite there and then found rowing and that was like oh that's it and so knowing myself enough to know like rowing is a sport i want to pursue or real estate feels right this feels like this is where i want to spend my energy and my time and then using all the other stuff to like really get into it like a lot of people they're in a job they're in a nine to five engagement they're commuting they're doing these things like probably feels round peg square hole or or whatever vice versa and and if that's not you if that's feeling wrong and there's feelings like there's a lot of friction there then i would suggest you analyze like what where's the friction coming from because there's probably something that's not working for you and if you as a listener here take that advice and identify it you can probably find some areas where you need to make a shift. And that might mean changing careers. That might just mean changing companies. That might just mean something you have to change about your routine. Who knows what it is, but knowing yourself and really identifying those things is like the one biggest takeaway I've, I've found from my, uh, from my conversations with really high level people. Yeah, that's really interesting and really so true. And it, even, it has a huge impact on communication as well, because knowing your biases, knowing your intent, what you want to achieve, what you want to communicate is so important in the way that you react to others and communicate with them in the first place. Um, but it's also a communication internally. Like exactly, you have an yeah. inner dialogue, right? And the way yeah. that you talk about it, if it's, if it's not a good fit, you're going to be frustrated with yourself all the time and there's going to mm-hmm. be like clashing. But if you're communicating internally in a way that like, yeah, this is a fit. It's hard, but I like it. And like, I can get through it and here's why I'm going to do it and blah, blah, blah. Like that's a very different communication. And then your external is going to change pretty drastically as well. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Very cool. So last couple questions I just like to ask everybody who's on the show. So I'll kind of run through them a little bit. The first one is um, I really believe in the power of conversation. So I've been asking guests if, if they can point to a specific conversation in their lives that had a really meaningful impact on the path that they ended up taking. One thing that comes to mind, and I don't know if it was one conversation, but there were a handful that sort of happened in a, in a relatively small period of, of time when I was a high school rower. I think I was a senior maybe it was a junior. Either way, it was somewhere right around, you know, 17, 18-ish years old. My rowing coaches, I had, uh, the varsity and then the assistant coach, both uh, had been in the sport for a long time and said in various ways, like, you have talent, you could be really serious, like, you could break the boathouse or could be the captain of the varsity boat, you could go on and row in college. Like, 
I'm, I'm sure it wasn't exactly said that way, but it was something like that. And it was all of a sudden this, this paradigm shift for me that was like, oh, maybe I could be really, this could be really a thing that I do. And then I worked harder and, and doubled down on those things. And, and obviously that took me to some pretty cool places. Um, but I definitely remember that being like one of the first major shifts in my life. And then that career of, of then college rowing after that was, took me in a very different direction. Yeah. Very cool. It's like some, somebody else's belief in you can mean so much given at the right time. Cause, uh, cause otherwise you're like, I'm okay at this, but you don't know that you are really, really good until somebody kind of shares that with you from the outside, somebody who you respect. So that's all I was talking about that early in another interview, you know, how many opportunities we miss as leaders, as parents, as friends to give that positive feedback in that moment. Cause nine times out of 10, we probably don't, but that one mm-hmm. time that we do for whatever the reason, it can be really powerful. So we should be looking for more opportunities to give that positive feedback, I think, from the folks around us. Plus, it provides some context for those people, especially when they're in the beginning and their their worldview is so tiny and they're just in their little bubble. Like I was in my little club and they had been out to college and they had been out all over the country and all over the world, you know, rowing and at rowing events. And they sort of had a way bigger perspective than I did. So being able to bring some of that perspective into those people's worlds and just make it a little bigger, you know, it's yeah. like that can, that can aside from the, the positive uh, communication can really be meaningful for someone. Very cool. Very cool. Second question I get asked a lot about first impressions. Mm -hmm. So thinking about if you're meeting somebody for the first time, what's the single thing they could do that would have the greatest impact on you as far as, you know, wanting to build a relationship with that person going forward? Definitely looking to add value to, to me, you know, question asking for sure is really important in trying to just understand people and where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. I think those are really critical things, but, but I think above all it's, it's when someone is authentically them and is really, is not trying to like chameleon their way into a relationship, meaning they're not trying to like read you and then, and then fit their mannerisms and their, what they say and what they talk about to you. Like, cause we all have a BS meter that comes like, that's pretty obvious most of the time. Mm-hmm. So, so being someone who can, who can genuinely present themselves as, as real practicing that and then, and then just being willing to be yourself and be a little polarizing and be that, that true authentic version, I think is the number one thing for me that, that comes across. Definitely good. That isn't a crazy that we have to say practice being yourself. And I know I certainly yeah. have to, right. But we get so used to being what we think others want us to be. Um, sometimes we just forget how to be authentic or sometimes we're afraid to be authentic. So yeah. that's really interesting. Last two questions. First one, if you could have a communication superpower, right. Think about where you've been and where you want to go. What would that be? communication superpower yeah what do you what do you what do you i'm I'm trying to get a little narrowed down here what do you think about what does that mean so it could be something like the ability to completely read and understand everybody around you or Mm. the ability to be a, a super influential speaker right and really motivate others like those kinds of things got it i think if I could enhance or, or superpower any part of my communication, it'd be sort of my, I'd want to be a little bit quicker and wittier on, on the way I talk. And I think I, I get this sometimes when I'm letting my authentic self flow freely, because, you know, when you're just kind of riffing and being yourself, I think it's easy to just let it, let it go. 
mm-hmm. and you can just you know respond to a funny joke or just kind of point something out in, a, in an interesting way. Um, but really being able to enhance that all the time because I think that for me that that is part of my communication style where I'm I I say this sort of jokingly to a lot of people that I take my job really seriously, but I try not to take myself too seriously. Mm -hmm. And so like, if we're going to shop for a million dollar house, like let's, let's uncover all the rocks and let's do all the things the right way, but let's not like make it boring and dry and, and unfun. Like let's, let's put some personality on it. For sure. For sure. Very cool. And then last question, if you could give somebody three pieces of guidance around being a great communicator, what would those be? Well, first one is certainly uh, figure out what your what your truth is and what your authenticity is, and and then practice bringing that out, even if it's just baby steps in the beginning. Um, secondly, is get really good at asking questions and and really try and make that a norm. You know, have and and a tip here is to have a couple pocket questions uh, that you can. You know, the Ford model is one that's famous, but you can always just dig in and just ask someone like, tell me about your family. Where are you from? Blah, 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 blah. You know, have like five questions that you can always ask. Mm -hmm. And then, and then lastly, like I'm really not good at this, but I've been trying to get better is, is try and learn people's names and use them once a while in the conversation. People love their names. And if you can start to just sprinkle those in, I think, I think people will, will respond pretty well to you. Yeah, great stuff. I'm also really bad with names. It's something that I really want to make a focus of mine to get better at, but I never I never seem to prioritize it. So it's something I need to prioritize because you're absolutely right. It makes a big impact and it it also just helps develop a more powerful relationship. It lets them know that they're important to you, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think it's powerful stuff. But I really appreciate the time today, man. Great conversation. I, I think my audience got a, a lot of value out of our discussions around kind of teamwork and leadership and how to build trust. Um, so, so thank you for that. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, man. Hope you and the audience has a great day. Thank you very much. Don't let the momentum stop now. Continue your path towards connecting at another level by joining the Communication Nation. We'll be discussing today's topics as well as more real-world solutions to transforming your life personally and professionally at facebook.com slash groups slash join the Communication Nation. Remember, you're only one good conversation away from transforming your business and life. And that conversation starts right here on The Art of Communication.